0: Chapter 1 Of the Moon Men by Edgar Rice Burroughs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Chapter 1 The Flag. I was born in the Tivos of Chicago, January 1st, 2100, to Julian the Eighth and Elizabeth James. My father and mother were not married, as marriages had long since become illegal. I was called Julian the Ninth. My parents were of the rapidly diminishing intellectual class, and could both read and write. This learning they imparted to me, although it was very useless learning. It was their religion. Printing was a lost art, and the last of the public libraries had been destroyed almost a hundred years before I reached maturity, so there was little or nothing to read, while to have a book in one's possession was to brand one as of the hated intellectuals, arousing the scorn and derision of the Kalkar rabble and the suspicion and persecution of the lunar authorities who ruled us. The first twenty years of my life were uneventful. As a boy, I played among the crumbling ruins of what must have once been a magnificent city. Pillaged, looted, and burned half a hundred times, Chicago still reared the skeletons of some mighty edifices above the ashes of her former greatness. As a youth, I regretted the departed romance of the long-gone days of my forefathers, when the Earthmen still retained sufficient strength to battle for existence. I deplored the quiet stagnation of my own time, with only an occasional murder to break the monotony of our black existence. Even the Kalkar Guard, stationed on the shore of the Great Lake, seldom harassed us, unless there came an urgent call from higher authorities for an additional tax collection. For we fed them well, and they had the pick of our women and young girls. Almost, but not quite, as you shall see. The commander of the guard had been stationed here for years, and we considered ourselves very fortunate in that he was too lazy and indolent to be cruel or oppressive. His tax collectors were always with us on market days, but they did not exact so much that we had nothing left for ourselves, as refugees from Milwaukee told us was the case there. I recalled one poor devil from Milwaukee who staggered into our market place of a Saturday. He was nothing more than a bag of bones, and he told us that fully 10,000 people had died of starvation the preceding month in his Tevos. The word Tivos is applied impartially to a district and to the administrative body that misadministers its affairs. No one knows what the word really means, though my mother has told me that her grandfather said that it came from another world, the moon, like Kashgar, which also means nothing in particular. One soldier is a Kashgard, 10,000 soldiers are a cash guard. If a man comes with a piece of paper upon which something is written that you are not supposed to be able to read, and kills your grandmother or carries off your sister, you say, the cash guard did it. Three Saturdays a month, the tax collectors were in the marketplaces, appraising our wares, and on the last Saturday, they collected 1% of all we had bought or sold during the month. Nothing had any fixed value. Today, you might haggle half an hour in trading a pint of beans for a goatskin. And next week, if you wanted beans, the chances were more than excellent that you would have to give four or five goatskins for a pint. And the tax collectors took advantage of that. They appraised on the basis of the highest market values for the month. My father had a few long-haired goats. They were called Montana goats, but he said they were really Angoras, and mother used to make cloth from their fleece. With the cloth, the milk, and the flesh from our goats, we lived very well, having also a small vegetable garden beside our house, but there were some necessities that we must purchase in the marketplace, it being against the law to barter in private, as the tax collectors would then have known nothing about a man's income. After supper one night, Father and I went out and milked the goats, and saw that the sheds were secured for the night against the dogs. It seems as though they had become more numerous and more bold each year. They run in packs now, and there were only individuals when I was a little boy, and it is scarce safe for a grown man to travel in unfrequented locality at night. We are not permitted to have firearms in our possession, nor even bows and arrows, so we cannot exterminate them, and they seem to realize our weakness coming close in among the houses and pens at night. They are large brutes, fearless and powerful. There's one pack more formidable than the others, which Father says appears to carry a strong strain of collie and Airedale blood. The members of this pack are large, cunning, and ferocious, and are becoming a terror to the city. We call them the Hellhounds. After we returned to the house with the milk, Jim Thompson and his woman, Molly Sheehan, came over. They live up the river about half a mile on the next farm, and are our best friends. They are the only people that father and mother really trust, so when we are all together alone, we speak our minds very freely. It seemed strange to me, even as a boy, that such big, strong men as father and Jim should be afraid to express their real views to anyone, and though I was born and reared in an atmosphere of suspicion and terror, I could never quite reconcile myself to the attitude of servility and cowardice which marked us all. And yet I knew that my father was no coward. He was a fine-looking man, tall and wonderfully muscled. And I have seen him fight with men and with dogs. Once he defended mother against a cash guard. And with his bare hands, he killed the armed soldier. He lies in the center of the goat pen now. His rifle, bayonet, and ammunition wrapped in many thicknesses of oil cloth beside him. We left no trace and were never even suspected. But we know where there is a rifle, a bayonet, and ammunition. Jim had had trouble with sewer, the new tax collector, and was very angry. Jim was a big man, and like father was always smooth-shaven, as were nearly all Americans, as we called those whose people had lived here long before the Great War. The others, the true cow grew no beards. Their ancestors had come from the moon many years before. they had come in strange ships year after year, But finally, one by one, their ships had been lost. And as none of them knew how to build others or the engines that operated them, the time came when no more Kalkars could come from the moon to Earth. Jim was terribly mad. He said that he couldn't stand it much longer. That he would rather be dead than live in such an awful world. But I was accustomed to such talk. I had heard it since infancy. Life was a hard thing. Just work, work, work for a scant existence over and above the income tax. No pleasures, few conveniences or comforts, absolutely no luxuries, and worst of all, no hope. It was seldom that anyone smiled, anyone in our class, and the grown-ups never laughed. As children, we laughed, a little, not much. It is hard to kill the spirit of childhood, but the brotherhood of man had almost done it father placed his hand upon Jim's shoulder. We must not weaken, my friend, he said. I often feel the same way. And then he walked quickly across the room to the fireplace and removed a stone above the rough wooden mantle. Reaching his hand into the aperture behind, he turned toward us. But cowed and degraded as I have become, he cried. Thank God I still have a spark of manhood left. I have had the strength to defy them as my fathers defied them. I have kept this that has been handed down to me, kept it for my son to hand down to his son, and I have taught him to die for it, as his forefathers died for it, and as I would die for it gladly. He drew forth a small bundle of fabric, and holding the upper corners between the fingers of his two hands, he let it unfold before us. An oblong cloth of alternate red and white stripes, with a blue square in one corner, upon which were sown many little white stars. Jim and Molly and Mother rose to their feet, and I saw Mother cast an apprehensive glance toward the doorway. For a moment they stood thus in silence, looking with wide eyes upon the thing that Father held, and then Jim walked slowly toward it, and kneeling took the edge of it in his great horny fingers and pressed it to his lips. The candle upon the rough table, sputtering in the spring wind that waved the goatskin at the window, "'cast its feeble rays upon them. "'It is the flag, my son,' said father to me. "'It is old glory, the flag of your father's, "'the flag that made the world a decent place to live in. "'It is death to possess it. "'But when I am gone, take it and guard it "'as our family has guarded it since the regiment "'that carried it came back from the Argonne.' "'I felt tears filling my eyes.' why I could not have told them, and I turned away to hide them. Turned toward the window, and there, beyond the waving goatskin, I saw a face in the outer darkness. I've always been quick of thought and of action, but I never thought or moved more quickly in my life than I did in the instant following my discovery of the face in the window. With a single movement, I swept the candle from the table, plunging the room into utter darkness, and leaping to my father's side, I tore the flag from his hands and thrust it back into the aperture above the mantel. The stone lay upon the mantel itself, nor did it take me but a moment to grope for it and find it in the dark. An instant more, and it was replaced in its niche. So ingrained were apprehension and suspicion in the human mind that the four in the room with me sensed intuitively something of the cause of my act. And when I had hunted for the candle, found it and relighted it they were standing, tense and motionless, where I had last seen them. They did not ask me a question, for if they suspicioned correctly, they knew that we must not talk upon the subject. Father was the first to speak. "'You were very careless and clumsy, Julian,' he said. "'If you wanted the candle, why did you not pick it up carefully instead of rushing at it so?' "'But that is always your way,' You are constantly knocking things over he raised his voice a trifle as he spoke but it was a lame attempt at deception and he knew it as did we if the man who owned the face in the dark heard his words he must have known it as well as soon as i had relighted the candle i went into the kitchen and out the back door and then keeping close in the black shadow of the house i crept around toward the front for i wanted to learn if i could who it was who had looked in upon that scene of high treason the night was moonless but clear and i could see quite a distance in every direction as our house stood in a fair-sized clearing close to the river southeast of us the path wound upward across the approach to an ancient bridge long since destroyed by raging mobs or rotted away i do not know which and presently i saw the figure of a man silhouetted against the starlit sky as he topped the approach The man carried a laden sack upon his back. This fact was to some extent reassuring, as it suggested that the eavesdropper was himself upon some illegal mission, and that he could ill afford to be too particular of the actions of others. I have seen many men carrying sacks and bundles at night. I have carried them myself. It is the only way often in which a man may save enough from the tax collector on which to live and support his family. I did not follow the man, being sure that he was one of our own class, but turned back toward the house where I found the four talking in low whispers, nor did any of us raise his voice again that evening. It must have been three-quarters of an hour later, as Jim and Molly were preparing to leave, that there came a knock upon the door, which immediately swung open before an invitation to enter could be given. We looked up to see Peter Johansen smiling at us. I never liked Peter. He was a long, lanky man who smiled with his mouth, but never with his eyes. I didn't like the way he used to look at Mother when he thought no one was observing him, nor his habit of changing women every year or two. That was too much like the cow cars. I always felt toward Peter as I had as a child when, barefooted, I stepped unknowingly upon a snake in the deep grass. Father greeted the newcomer with a pleasant, "'Welcome, Brother Johansen." But Jim only nodded his head and scowled, for Peter had a habit of looking at Molly as he did at Mother, and both women were beautiful. I think I never saw a more beautiful woman than my mother, and as I grew older and learned more of men in the world, I marveled that Father had been able to keep her. And too, I understood why she never went abroad, but stayed always closely about the house and farm. I never knew her to go to the marketplace, as did most of the other women, but I was twenty now, and worldly wise and so I knew what I had not known as a little child. "'What brings you out so late, Brother Johansson?' I asked. We always used the prescribed brother to those of whom we were not sure. I hated the word. To me, a brother meant an enemy as it did to all our class, and I guess to every class, even the Kalkars. "'I followed a stray pig,' replied Peter to my question. "'He went in that direction,' and he waved a hand toward the marketplace." As he did so, something tumbled from beneath his coat, something that his arm had held there. It was an empty sack. Immediately I knew who it was, who owned the face in the dark beyond our goatskin hanging. Peter snatched the sack from the floor in ill-conceived confusion, and then I saw the expression of his cunning face change as he held it toward Father. Is this yours, brother Julian? he asked. I found it just before your door and thought that I would stop and ask. No, said I, not waiting for father to speak. It is not ours. It must belong to the man I saw carrying it full a short time since. He went by the path beside the old bridge. I looked straight into Peter's eyes. He flushed and then went white. I did not see him, he said presently. But if the sack is not yours, I will keep it. At least it is not high treason to have it in my possession. And then, without another word, he turned and left the house. We all knew then that Peter had seen the episode of The Flag. Father said that we need not fear, that Peter was all right. But Jim thought differently, and so did Molly and Mother. I agreed with them. I did not like Peter. Jim and Molly went home shortly after Peter left, and we prepared for bed. End of chapter one.